podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Scripture reading today comes from Ezra chapter 7. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for, because the glorious hand of the Lord was on him. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year, He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived in Jerusalem on August 4th. For the gracious hand of the Lord God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of God and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, We are thankful for this day. We are thankful for the opportunity uh, to gather as a family. We are thankful to be able to be with brothers and sisters. We're thankful because we know we are in your presence. We want to acknowledge that right now, Lord, that this is your place. This is your home. We can do a lot to prepare to be in your presence, or we cannot. It doesn't uh, change the fact that you're here. And so we pray, God, this right this now, in this very moment, that you would tune our hearts, tune our hearts to sense you, to know you, to hear the gentle whisper of your your voice speak to us. Come, O Holy Spirit, flood this place. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. A philosopher once said that, um, that the devil is in the details. Uh, the modern theologian Oprah Winfrey says God is in the details. I don't know if Oprah's right or not, but I do know that uh, as I get older, I realize that where the devil often finds himself at greatest work is in the place of hurry, in the place of racing and in the place of going from A to B as quick as possible. Um, I don't know about you, but um, since it's just us at family this morning, um, we're going to take a minute and we're going to pause and we're going to get off the hurry train because our culture is really good at that. We're going to be still. We're going to realize that uh, the enemy of our soul longs to do something to us, and that is to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't know about your life, but my week this week, there's been a lot of steal, killing, and destroying. 
I've learned this week through this reading of this passage and this story of Ezra um, that uh, we leaders can do a whole lot of stuff and try, 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 but no matter what, it comes down to each one, each and every one of us choosing to have a renovation of the heart, as Dallas Willard would say. That we can focus a lot on brick and mortar and paint and this and that and orders of worship and studies and everything else and beautiful pieces of music. Thank you, Maggie. Um, We can focus on all that kind of stuff, but if each and every one of us don't take an opportunity to be still, to realize that in the midst of our hurry and our racing and our rushing and our mad dash for this, that, and everything else that society says we need to be doing, then what we do is we miss out on the real gift that God has given us. We miss out on an opportunity to have that renovation of a heart. We miss out on an opportunity to have life abundant. We miss out on an opportunity to, to be a family that is called to a whole lot more than just make sure that our building is pretty. I grew up in a church with 3,600 members. 3,600 members. On our worship service, uh, we had two worship services every Sunday that were filled. On our, our sanctuary, I say little, it wasn't little. Um, and in that church, everybody felt family. I'm sure there were some folks who could come in and could come out and they could miss everything and just kind of do what they do, but uh, that was a, the minority. The majority of folks there knew and expected to be treated as family whenever they walked through the door. If something was going on, they knew that somebody in that church was going to love them, was going to support them, was going to call them out when needed. Uh, One of our church uh, family members this morning texted me from the hospital. Eddie Ray was walking the dogs and fell and broke his hip. Yeah, that's an oh moment. It's an even greater opportunity for us to bless the Ray family, isn't it? Oh, Um, I want you to look around you. I'm going to step on toes. Obviously, I'm not on my notes, so this is dangerous. And there's no clock in the back, which is really dangerous. (laughs) I want you to look around you. I want you to see some empty chairs. That's on us, church. That's on us. There are family members who are missing we need to be reaching out, loving on, reminding that this family matters. Again, if I'm learning anything from Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel in these stories is that if we don't have a renovation of the heart, a renovation of brick and mortar isn't going to matter much. The passage of Scripture that that Chad read for us um, occurs 60 years after the events of last week. So quickly we go from chapter break to chapter break, and we think, oh, that was like a day later. No, 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 60 years between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. 60 years where where the the people of God just kind of sat on their hands and were kind of going through motions and doing stuff. And, And it appears that as we read this passage of scripture that the king of Persia said, you know what, something's amiss. I want to send the brightest that I have, the the top scholar, um, this guy by the name of Ezra, who's from the tribe of Levi, who's got this incredible heritage and and history. I mean, he's a descendant of Aaron, the great high priest. 
I want you to go back, and I want you to make sure that the worship of God is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now, that's a really strange request. Why would that occur? Well, because during that 60-year period between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there was a lot going on, including one particularly book that, that, that we don't talk about very often. It's called the book of Esther. Remember that story? This um, Jewish woman who is married to a Persian king, um, and uh, through an incredible story, uh, there's a man by the name of Haman who says, uh, let's, create, let's have a genocide, let's kill all the Jews. Not knowing that his queen is a Jew, that didn't turn out too well for him. But that happens in between this time, and for whatever reason, this king that comes to power, Artaxerxes I, um, he apparently must feel like continual reparations are made to the Jewish God because he says, Ezra, my best scholar, my best teacher of this religion, you go back to Jerusalem and get everything in order, and I'm going to send the bank with you. He sends loads of resources and money and he, and he says to, to Ezra, go back and make sure you offer sacrifices and, and, and seek God's forgiveness for us. It's, it's an amazing thing for a pagan king to do. Ezra comes back and, and he gets everything settled and he's exhausted because he's been hurrying and he's been racing. I mean, it takes him 12 days to get from the decree to actually start the journey. 12 days. You guys thought I was a control freak. <laughs> And he gets there, and, and they, they, they rest for a minute. They deposit their money, and Ezra sits down in his office with his professor tweed jacket, and he's all excited about teaching and having a class and doing an IBS on the board and all that good stuff. And all of a sudden, he gets this. Um, um, um Ezra, um, we, got, we got some problems. Oh, great. <laughs> he gets up, well, what's the problem? And he says, um, well, the... the it's been 60 years since the temple's been dedicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here to teach and you're here to, to, to show us the way of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, getting those Bible studies ready. And he says, uh, well, um, the problem is, is we as a people, we've not been faithful. Ezra goes, what are you talking about? He says, well, we've, we've done the very thing that the law of Moses says not to do. We've, our people have intermarried. Even our priests have intermarried with people who are still worshiping their other gods, and so we have this abomination, this detestable practices, Ezra says, that is going on in our country, and, and, and we're suffering and we're struggling. We had this great renovation of our temple, and, and it's not meant a whole lot. And, and, and Ezra, he, he is overwhelmed by this news of this rebellion, and he falls on his face, and he goes to the middle of the temple where the sacrifices are going, and he sits there with his robes ripped and his hair pulled out, and he's all disheveled, and he's just sitting there appalled. And people start to gather around him. Now, if, if I were to do that in this room, people might go, whoo, preacher's gone a little crazy today, too much caffeine. But they come and they try and see what's going on. And at the evening sacrifices, which must have felt like a complete farce to Ezra, um, he starts to do something that is just remarkable. I want you to imagine this last Tuesday at the State of the Union address. And right as it gets started, the president gets up and he says, I just want to repent on behalf of the entire nation. We'd all think something had taken over our televisions, hadn't we? Regardless of who the president, we've never had a president who stood up and said, you know, I just want to say sorry. We've not done what's right. And Ezra does this. He rips his clothes and he says, God, we have sinned. We've rebelled. We've chosen to dilute who you are. 
We've not taken care of our neighbors. We've not heard the cry of our needy, which is all in our confession when we come to the table. He says, and we are a mess, God. We are a mess. We are a mess. We are a mess. You keep giving us chances. You give us everything, and we just go, And he, he falls on his face and he weeps and he cries and the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, a leader in the, in the, in the, the temple, he goes, ooh, um, Ezra's right. And I'm the chief of them. I, I've sinned. I've broken God's law. I've done detestable practices. I've diluted God's love and God's message for us. I mean, again, imagine State of the Union, the president actually does this, and all of a sudden a senator or a congressperson from the opposite camp gets up and says, I'm with you, I did it too. And we can't even fathom that, but this is what's happening in the middle of Israel, in the middle of the temple. And this man stands up and he says, I've got, we've got to do something about this. It's got to be a radical change. We've got to confess. We've got to, we've got to do something. We've got to divorce these, these wives that we have married. We've intermingled. We've diluted our faith. We've got to send them away it's tearing us apart and it's one of these harsh, terrible things because Ezra goes, yeah, you're right. It's a passage of scripture that I've hated since I was a kid because I'm always like, well, even if God hates divorce, why is this okay? We'll get to that in a second. But Ezra says, let's do this. Let's get all of the leaders of all of the nation to come together and we're going to meet here at the temple in three days and tell this, if the households don't show up, they're going to forfeit their lands. Ooh, can you imagine that? hey, everybody, we're going to have church next Sunday, and if you're not here, Chad and I are going to come, and we're going to take over the deed to your house. Yeah, that's what Ezra says. Oh, and by the way, you're going to come in three days, and it's December, so it's cold, and you're going to stand here at the temple, and so guess what happens? They all show up because they don't want their lands taken from them, and they show up, and they're standing there, and it's raining, and it's damp, and it's cold, and it's terrible, and they're flipping out. And Ezra stands up and he says, this is what we've done. We've diluted what God has done for us. We've watered down the wine. We've, we've decided to say, God, you've given us all this, and eh, it's great. We're going to do this too, and we're going to do this too, and we're going to add to this, and we're going to add to this. And, and, and the crowd is like, whoa, we've rebelled. We've rebelled. We've forgotten what God has invited us to do. And so the plan is laid out. We believe the best way to do this, to undilute what God has done, is for those of us who've married pagan wives, we're going to send them away and the children. A couple of people in the group go, can we take some time on this? Now, at first, when I read that, I go, ooh, that's kind of like, well, maybe we'll just let this go away. You ever had a kid who say, let's just talk about this for a minute or someone like that? That's not how it feels to me because what it feels like to me is what occurs is over the next three months, I believe that these households went home and they were given the opportunity to get their household in order. Husbands and wives were able to sit down and go, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to follow this one true God who's given us everything? Are we going to continue these mixed diluting of God practices that we brought into this? Or are we going to raise our children the right way? Are we going to do that? And I believe what happened over the course of those three months, it was a time of grace for families to get their acts together. And at the end of Ezra, it's like 27 verses. We read of the priests and the scribes and the leaders of the, of the, the nation who come together and they say, we've done this and I'm going to offer this sacrifice and ask for forgiveness. We don't learn of a bunch of people who were divorced and kicked out of a nation. 
And I read that to say it sounds like there was a whole lot of grace that was offered and a whole lot of families got their acts together. And that's how the book of Ezra ends. Ezra is sent to do this incredible work and, and he gets a door, knock on the door. Something's wrong. Now, between Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, we have a time break as well. We'll get into Nehemiah next week, but I'm going to go ahead and let you know this revival, this renewal moment in the rain in December that lasted for three months to get our households in order, it didn't stick. It didn't continue. So again, we see leaders who have this great optimism and this great hope for the people and for the nation. And <clears throat> what I'm, again, learning is that um, if we don't have a renovation of the heart, if each and every one of us who call um, our place of worship home don't have that moment where we say, all right, um, it's going to be this, then all the brick and the mortar and all the build it, if you build it, they will come and all of that kind of stuff doesn't matter much at all. You see, I, I think two things about why Ezra and Nehemiah are in our scriptures, it's to invite us to see that these people who have the long lineage and we read them over and over again, <clears throat> it's to remind ourselves, are, are, are these going to be the true people of God or just going to be imposters? Ooh. I, I wonder if the American church, the church in the United States, the church here in Kentucky, the Kentucky Annual Conference, I wonder if there is a call going out, are we going to be the real people of God or are we going to be imposters? Second thing that Ezra and Nehemiah invite me to think through is not just imposters, but a people who've been in exile, will they be able to regain a spiritual edge? That edge of their faith that says, hey, God's really up to something and I'm not gonna be involved in the hurry and the waste and the crazy. I'm gonna dev instead devote myself to what God has invited me to, the beauty and the abundance that God has devoted, my, devoted himself to us for. Two incredible offerings that I think that these books are inviting even us hundreds and thousands of years later, to consider. So again, I ask you, Andover, <clears throat> look around you. Look around you. You can do it. It's okay. Everybody's like, I'm not going to do it. No way. Not a chance. Uh-uh. 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 I'm going to freeze right here because I feel like I'm getting my toes stepped on. No, I'm not doing it. Look around you. There's entire family who are missing. And Janelle and, and, and Elizabeth and Chad and myself and the rest of our staff, we can work as hard as we possibly can and we can lead as best as we possibly can. But if it, and we can build and build and build and we can have great floors and we can have, be excited about paint and all this kind of stuff. But if it doesn't begin with a renovation of the heart, it's all for naught. And and. and I want to be about more than not. Do you? Renovation of heart invites us to ask, are we imposters? Poser Christians? Casual Christians at best? Have we lost our spiritual edge? Have we watch State of the Unions, and we've heard calls for special general conferences, and we just go, oh, well, here we go. Or 
Are we the people of God? That devote ourselves to a radical kind of holiness that looks at the rest of the world and goes, sorry, this is who we are. We love you no matter what. This is the kind of people that's going to devote themselves to prayer and to discipline and to finding a group of men and women who want to walk beside of us and say, how are we doing? How is it with your soul? Where have you failed God this week? Where have you failed your neighbor this week? How are we growing? So, beloved, I'm going to ask you this morning, without any single note, I'm going to ask you, how is it with your soul? Imposter? True child? Have you lost your spiritual edge? Have you forgotten that as a family, we have a responsibility to one another? We have an opportunity to share an incredible message with a world that's lost and hurting. If you build it, they won't come. We let the Holy Spirit work here. That changes the whole world. I'm going to invite Janelle to come to the piano and play for us. And we're going to continue Chad's moment of quiet and we're going to take an opportunity to be still before the Lord and we're going to ask those questions or at least we're going to be invited to ask those questions, I can't force you imposter how's your spiritual edge how's your renovation of the heart going are you too hurried to see it who ransacked by the, the, the events of the week. Take an opportunity and breathe in. Remember, God is here.
Shechaniah, the man who stood and said, we have done it, was brave enough. He was one of the heroes of the faith, in my opinion. Stand up and said, enough is enough. I wonder how many of us are brave enough to be a Shechaniah in 2019. Say enough is enough. Beloved, um, this is an exciting place. These are exciting people. We have an incredible God. Let's not dilute him anymore. Let's go after and let's see what God wants to do. And I promise you, as we lean in, as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, I promise that this little city on top of a hill will shine pretty bright. And that the salt that we are and we flavor the society will be something that will overwhelm those who are lost and who need Jesus. So know this week I'm going to be praying for you. <clears throat> That when you sense hurry, and when you sense uh, anxiety, and when you sense busyness, you'll take a moment and you'll go, back off, devil. Back off. Because I'm not going to be an imposter. I'm a child of the living God, filled by his spirit, created to do good works in him. I invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to sing our song, but first I want to invite you to just open up your hands and receive this prayer. Holy God, here we stand like Shechaniah so many years ago, owning our own stuff, owning our own junk, owning those places where we have diluted our faith, diluted our love and trust of you. We ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness. We receive the gifts and the fruit of your spirit. We receive the forgiveness that you have given. Empower us, O Holy One, to live the abundant life that you have given us. Empower us to realize those moments when the enemy of our soul is coming in trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Empower us to say no. Empower us to say yes to you. Empower us to love like Jesus. Empower us to realize that all of the offers of the world around us are just that fake substitute offers. Empower us with all that you have. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in your people. For this is our prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.